Hi folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. You know what I'm about to say, and I know you want to hit that forward 30 second thing just to not hear me say it, but please hear me out. We need your support now more than ever. The Tortoise Shack has thousands of people listening, but obviously people are feeling the pinch, particularly after Christmas, and we are struggling to keep the lights on, mics on, and conversations like the one you're about to listen to keep happening. We've no ads, we've no sponsors, we rely entirely on you to pay it forward and keep this project going. It is the price of a fancy cup of coffee to you once a month, but to us it's mics on, lights on, bills paid, and we get to keep going in 2024, which is going to be a huge year of elections. So if you value what we do, give something back. Click the link that says patreon.com forward slash tortoise It's right there at the top of the podcast you're about to listen to. And it ain't a one-way street. You get a ton of additional content for that, including all our podcasts as quickly as I can turn them around, completely plea-free. So, for example, if you were listening to our live podcast from a few weeks ago at the Sugar Club with Barra, who talked about his journey of death, the trip of death from Turkey to Greece and then winding up homeless on the streets of Dublin. Well, Barra, Brian and Aziz rejoined us for an update on his situation, how he's getting on since then and what's happening with his family and friends in Gaza and indeed in Rafa at the moment. That's available right now on the Patreon feed for all of our members so by joining us, you get access to that and our entire back catalogue in one consolidated feed. So one more time, patreon.com forward slash tortoise Thanks so much for your support. Enjoy the show. I'll get you, I'll get you a glass. Okay, delighted to be here tonight. Um, and thank you so much, everyone, for coming out. It is so important that we do everything we can so I really thank Tony, Dean, for pulling this together. Um, it really is important. And this uh, guest is someone who I did a podcast with. Some of you might have listened to it just before Christmas. And it was actually one of the podcasts that we got the most reaction to. Um, and I think it was because the Meg, when she's going to come on here, has a particular way of communicating um, kind of the impact of this in terms of what Tony mentioned about trauma but also emotion and both in terms of Gaza and we'll talk about also here as well um no pressure Meg and um but just I do think and, and Dean said it to me here it's so emotional and there is something about trying to hold on to the emotion and keep in touch with it and with it um because it is what drives us but also we need to mind ourselves so that's what this conversation is going to be about so delighted to introduce Dr. Meg Ryan who is an assistant professor Trying to figure this one out. Which one of us is on the couch? In all sorts of ways. It should be me. It should be me on the couch, shouldn't it? Do you want to go on the couch? Or do you want to go on the chair and I'll go on the couch? No, no, no. So to introduce Meg, um, she is assistant professor in global health in the Trinity College School of Psychology. She's also a practicing counseling psychologist and works from a feminist psychotherapy perspective. Meg, it's great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Uh, I think we are going to go, to a certain extent, straight into it, but just before we do, you are also director of a Master's in Global Mental Health. Yeah. Maybe you could explain to us what that is. Yeah, um, so Global Mental Health is an interdisciplinary field, so it's not just about psychology, but also, like, we have lots of other collaborators, so uh, medicine, social anthropology, so there's a lot of kind of different disciplines um, involved, and I suppose it's ultimately looking to identify um, 
or it's, it's concerned with, I suppose, inequities in the development and then treatment of mental health problems globally. So it's concerned with the kind of social context in which mental health problems develop for people. It's concerned with kind of trying to ensure equitable access to healthcare systems, particularly for vulnerable populations. Yeah, and, and completely um, in line then with mm. what is going on in Gaza. And Absolutely. I was just going through the figures there in terms of um, children who have been killed. And I, I know, you know, in terms of trauma and impact, the numbers in Gaza are really just, they're hard to get your head around. I don't know if you've seen these figures. Um, in Iraq, there was 3,100 children killed over 14 years. In Ukraine, 510 children killed over 21 months between February 2022 and November 2023. Yemen is 3,700 in seven and a half years. Afghanistan, 8,000 in 12 years. Syria, 12,000 in 11 years. And in Gaza, just since October, we're now at 13,000. It's just, it's horrific. It's horrific. So maybe in terms of that, the impact of those deaths of children, what is it in terms of people of Gaza? Trauma. Well, I suppose it's kind of very obvious that what's happening in Gaza is inherently traumatizing to be living through a genocide, to be witnessing the bombing of your family, the destruction of your home, um, to be starved. Like, there's no denying that that is a trauma. Um, but what I've been kind of hearing um, Palestinian mental health professionals talking about a lot is that there's a danger maybe in when we apply a kind of typically Western lens onto to what is happening. So I suppose Dr. Sama Jabber, who's the head of the mental health services in Palestine, um, talks a lot about how our kind of understanding of trauma a lot is tied up in this idea of PTSD and that that doesn't necessarily apply for people in Palestine because there is no post, there's no afterwards. What's happening is kind of continuous, it's ongoing. And even, I suppose, PTSD assumes there's some kind of like baseline level of safety or psychological security, which again is not the case for people in Palestine for generations. And so there's a danger, I think, when we try and do a bit of a cut-paste of what we understand mental health to be and trauma to be and apply it to Palestine. And I think what we have to be very conscious of is always bearing in mind the you know, the root cause of the trauma in Palestine is oppression. It's a settler colonialism that people are living through. What they're experiencing is a kind of a, a symptom and embodiment of the, the settler colonial regime. Um, and we have to be very conscious of that when we talk about what's happening in Palestine, I think. Um, and to understand, you know, not just to, to talk about trauma, but, but to talk about the, the, the root cause of that trauma as well. Yeah, absolutely. And when you think of um, the struck in, in the guys there connecting Ireland and Palestine, and we talk in Ireland about the famine and the long impact it has had on Irish society, and people say, I can't remember someone was saying it, like, I can't, was it some psychologist was saying it takes two or three hundred years to get over mm -hmm. a trauma to a country like a famine. So in terms of Gaza and into the future, like what sort of impacts is this going to have down the line when this stops? Mm -hmm. I suppose, it's, like you're saying, there's this kind of intergenerational impact. So people who are being born into Gaza now, it's not just the impact of what's happening to them now, but also the, the kind of trauma that's been experienced by their families for generations, and that's you know going to be there for generations to come. And I think when we often talk about 
trauma, a concept that comes up that's very intertwined is this idea of resilience. Um, and resilience is kind of this idea of like being able to bend around something and, and come back. And actually what I've been hearing from people um, involved in mental health services in Palestine, uh, what they say is kind of actually a more accurate idea when it comes to Palestinian people and, and the, the kind of oppression that they're facing is this idea of samud. Um, and it's essentially a Palestinian concept and value of steadfastness. And it's the idea that they do not bend, um, that they do not kind of sway to what's happening, that they remain steadfast and they remain strong. Oh, sorry. I, I feel like I'm shouting at people. No, I'm talking into the mic too much. Sorry, can no one hear me? <laughs> um, but that Samud is this kind of practice of refusal. So when we talk about resilience, this is kind of an individualistic concept. Um, and also, you know, people in Gaza and people in Palestine shouldn't have to be resilient. What's happening shouldn't be happening to them. And resilience as a concept isn't really enough because it doesn't kind of challenge the structure of what's happening. Um, and what Samud does is it affirms the kind of material reality of Palestine. It's this refusal to submit um, or comply with the oppressor. And it's not something that happens as a result of the, the oppression and the settler colonialism, the way resilience is kind of a result of a trauma. But Samud is actually the, you know, it's there from the beginning and it's what the kind of colonial regime is seeking to destroy. Yeah, yeah, that's really, really interesting and so important. And, and there's hope there in that, in terms of that, you know, not bending. And, you you know, you see it all the time in social media and from people from Gaza saying, you know, no matter what happens, you know, we will continue, you know, Gaza yeah. will never die. And that is, you know, so true. It's not yeah. going to. Um, and the just in, in terms of, to move it on a little bit, um, Something that it was really kind of struck me and I struggle with, and, and even we heard reference to the guys in the song as well, about, you know, how is this being justified? You know, how, how do, is in terms of the West, you know, in terms of Israel itself, um, you know, a country, you know, where the Jewish people went through the Holocaust and now, you know, they're doing it to the people of Gaza. Mm -hmm. How is this done? How is it legitimized? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, um, I think... Like obviously, there's a lot of racism at play here. That that mm. you know that that's you know really really tying in feeding into what's happening. Um, but I also think that you know that the way that this gets framed. I was listening to a podcast earlier, and the the people on the podcast were talking about this article that they read, written by a Palestinian person, and I can't remember their name unfortunately. But the name of the article was a. Uh, Jewish settler stole my home and it's not my fault that he's Jewish. So this idea that Palestinian people, when they resist their oppression and when they kind of affirm their, their right to try and protect themselves and protect their home, they get kind of demonized, dehumanized, and there's a lot of tactics that go into that, I think, and one of them being this kind of um, accusation of anti-Semitism. Of course, that's not true that Palestinian people would defend their home against whatever you know race or religion of settlers tried to colonize them but i think that that you know gets weaponized and gets used against them and gets used to kind of justify the continued violence against them and i think that that's something that we see a lot this kind of um pathologization of resistance mm. um and i think that when you know that's why it's so important to keep that political lens on it and to to really 
understand that all of the different reactions and um, ways that Palestinian people are responding to what's happening, it's the response to a, a colonialization and a genocide and that we have to, you know, to bear that in mind. And I think that if we look at it, different movements throughout history, people who have tried to push back against the status quo, whether that's individuals or movements, are often labeled as violent or dangerous or crazy. You know, Nelson Mandela was on the terror watch list until mm. 2008. Yeah. So the way that these things get framed, it gets twisted. And I think that we, um, you know, we can see how that happens so easily, that people who push back against the, the system and who refuse to accept their own destruction um, are demonized. Yeah, ab absolutely. There's so much I could talk to you about, Meg, but unfortunately we're under time constraints. So I have like three or four things I really want to yeah. um, ask you and get the audience to experience you saying it. Because I said in the podcast, I was so struck by you know, things you were saying. And one of the discussions we had mm -hmm. was around the impact on us. Um, as activists, as you know, people who are from Gaza, who are from Palestine, um, and those of us who are here and who are you know, really bearing witness, being part of it, that there is a traumatic impact on us as well. And we do need to talk about that. Mm -hmm. And it's not just about, oh, poor us, because we're, you know, we're affected, but actually, in terms of a strategy to sustain ourselves, you know, to be able to continue to be move, you know, activists to continue to be campaigning, we need to protect, protect ourselves, mind ourselves and figure out, okay, and understand this impact. Mm -hmm. And I was actually, as an example of this, um, I, I spoke about my daughter, um, who's three, and I was taking her to the bathroom. She still wakes up at night, um, needs to be taken to the bathroom. And I remember taking her one night, and I was just really struck by how when she felt in my arms and I looked at her and it was dark, the images of the babies of the children that same age dying in Gaza came into my mind and I was just frozen. Um, and then the other night, two nights ago, she needed to be woken up again and she shouted out and I was ripped out of my dream. And I was dreaming about an Israeli pilot um, who was in a, in a plane saying and looking down at Gaza and going... I don't want to bomb. I, you know, I don't want to bomb that. And someone was telling her, you have to bomb it, you have to bomb it. And it's like, it is in our minds yeah. all the time in so many ways. And just wondering about that from a psychologist as a practicing counselor, you know, what advice would you give, you know, to us in terms of understanding the impact on us? And then, you know, how can we sustain ourselves emotionally? Yeah. And it is really impactful. I mean, I think everybody here you know, will have experienced that, that mm. to bear witness to what's happening is incredibly distressing um, and and very, very, um, you know, impactful for us. And I think one of the ways that we've kind of talked about before, I suppose, is, is in finding connection with other people. Mm. Um, because I think, you know, what's happening can be described as a kind of a vicarious trauma in a way that, you know, we're witnessing something that nobody should have to witness, let alone experience and go through. Um, and that is profoundly impactful. And I think sometimes when we see something like that, it, it's really challenging. It really unsettles our kind of ideas of what the world should be like, maybe our trust in systems or governments or organizations that we might have held before is really shattered. And I think we're seeing that a lot, like people are talking about this and and in one way it's a kind of an opportunity for a kind of consciousness raising it's an opportunity for people to become more um 
politically engaged and to become more kind of aware of, of the different like forms of oppression that are happening and and it's an opportunity in that way but but that's also a huge loss I think of a sense of safety and trust in the world um, and that's really very difficult it does actually alter your kind of worldview and your sense of of, of yourself in in the world and I think um, when that happens we need to seek out other people we need to connect with people we need to feel safe and I think as well we need to feel affirmed or validated in that because I think it can feel so strange when you know on one level what's happening you're aware of what's happening in Gaza you're following it on particular social media channels and then you go to the mainstream news where you speak with people with a different point of view and and they don't um, legitimize that or they don't uh, acknowledge that and that's a really strange position to to be in Um, and so I think one thing is just talking to like-minded people and finding groups to connect with um, and building that kind of sense of solidarity and purpose I think can be really really helpful. And is there um, to ask you a, a psychology question, do you agree with Jung's concept of the collective unconscious that there actually is something connecting us all? And if we tap into that, and Gabor Mate talks about it, you know, can we find you know, ways of sustaining ourselves, as you say, by connecting not just with others, but even broader than that, that there's something more that connects us all as human beings mm-hmm. that we can tap into? And how can we do that? Yeah, I'm not a Jungian, um, so <laughs> I can't really speak necessarily to the collective unconscious, but I think I think what it is, and I think this is something that psychology doesn't really like to talk about, because I think psychology likes to position itself as a scientific discipline and as very objective, and um, actually I think what it, you're describing is actually like love, that mm. we feel mm. love for and care for um, other people and we connect with them on a human level. Um, and when we feel this deep and profound sense of grief and sadness, it's because the, you know, it's coming out of love. Mm. Um, and so I think that's what's happening and that's what we're feeling and experiencing. And, th- and then what my response is, how then do we allow such smashing destruction of that love and humanity? How do you mean? How do, how do we as a people, as humanity, as societies when we you know when we know this when we see it i just can't get my head around that i just like how does it happen how yeah does it happen in the first obviously place? you know like because there's obviously there's the politics there's you know mm-hmm. the the geopolitics of it you know why is israel backed by the u.s and there's all that political mm-hmm. side to it and but then on a human level mm-hmm. you know how how are how are people so dehumanized that they can allow it happen I think it the way I kind of think about it is it's like a connection and a being able to tap into that kind of love versus an alienation and I think we live in a society and in a system that by necessity dehumanizes all of us like to be you know to live in within a system that places profit above the health and well-being and happiness of people to do that you have to first dehumanize those people and so I think we're actually all complicit in in some way and and live in a system that we're all being dehumanized to various levels to various degrees in everything that we do and I think sometimes that you know overwhelms people or that gets you know that takes over and and they lose that connection they become alienated from themselves maybe from other people um, and they're not able to kind of tap into that maybe collective unconscious or that that sense Mm. of of love and humanity yeah yeah absolutely Um, unfortunately our time is short Tony do I have time for one more Two minutes. I knew I was getting close. I can't see anything. 
<laughs> one more. Um, okay, so Irish Psychologist for Palestine, you've set it up. Um, you're doing um, group sessions where people can join in and just chat and talk about um, the impact. This is a big step from... You know, psychologists are considered, you know, we do therapy, we do our medication, we, you know, we treat people individually, mm. yet here you are taking part in society and stepping beyond yeah. the individual. That's a big step for psychology, so mm-hmm. it's brilliant to see, and it's so important because I think the psychological lens just really gives something unique and significant. Um, and how do you feel as that as a psychologist? Um, how do I feel about it? In terms of, yeah, like, how did it feel oh. taking that step and, mm-hmm. you know, the, it is significant. It is. I know it feels really good. And I think, you know, I think there's a place for those other maybe kind of more individual pieces, uh, medication or therapy or, or whatever. You know, I don't, I'm, I don't want to necessarily discount the entire yeah, yeah. profession, although I will critique it heavily. But I think, um, you know, if we go back to, to talking about Palestine just for a moment and this idea that, you know, the trauma is born out of, oppression then the solution is not therapy but liberation and I think if we talk about people here in Ireland and worldwide and the kind of vicarious trauma that we feel that is born out of kind of bearing witness to an oppression and so the solution I think is solidarity Um, and I think that that's what the group is trying to do it's trying to connect people it's not a therapy group but it's a, a support group it's a space for people to to talk to each other, to to connect to each other, um, to kind of help each other through what we were talking about earlier, which is that sense of maybe being feeling feeling very destabilized in the world um, through kind of realizing that all is not as you were told it was, and all is not as it should be. Um, and I think that it's a really important space, and hopefully there'll be more spaces like it, or it'll become more, you know, it'll take off in some way. Brilliant, brilliant. Listen, Meg Ryan, thank you so much. Thank you very much for being a wonderful audience. Who's up next? Thank you. Good night from me. Professor Rory Hearn and Dr. Meg Ryan. It's like a bleeding Hollywood film up here. Uh, This is a song called Palestine. Um, The chorus is uh, From the River to the Sea, Palestine Will Be Free. Um, You'd pick it up easy enough. It'd be great to hear you. Without freedom our human rights an occupation by a military might a clear command from an apartheid state dominate intimidate humiliate forced from their homes and to flee their land a colonizing that never ends Demonize, dehumanize, but they will rise. They will rise. They will rise. They will rise. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. From the river.
Palestine You will be free An open prison Surrounded day by day By tanks and guns From the USA And now we see more sickening war crimes No medicine, water, food or light While children under rubble slowly die White phosphorus rains from the sky We can't stand by and watch this genocide We must rise, the world must rise You will be free. You will be free.